My name's Scott. Uh, I'm a seminarian. I'm about a year and a half now, sort of. Maybe half of one year is probably the best way to put it. I'm kind of starting slow. Midlife's and all that. When I talk to kids about college, though, I tend to not mention the fact that it took me about seven years to get my bachelor's degree. It's just unnecessary information, I think. (laughs) I'm looking over. My kids are not here, so this is safe. (laughs) I usually say, when asked why it took so long, that I spent a long time thinking, and then I just breeze past all those pesky little chronological details. I spent a long time thinking. It's actually a perfectly fair way to put it. The academic bug had bitten me rather late. So when I finally graduated with my nifty new degree in philosophy, I really was just starting out. The great questions that I discovered, why are we here? How did we get here? Where are we going? These questions simply weren't done with me yet. So I enrolled in a PhD program, and I got to keep asking them for several more years. At the time I eventually left grad school, I was a walking cliché. A liberal arts major with a mountain of debt and no clue on how to pay it back, at least according to my father. A recruiter learned that I could spell personal computer. Poof, next thing you know, I was an IT professional. Ta-da! See, Dad, instant payback plan. But I had every intention of going back to finish my dissertation. I just didn't. John Lennon said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. I suppose enrolling in Meadville Lombard Theological Seminary may not have been a surprise to many of my old friends, even though I'm pretty sure that this is what the dictionary entry for midlife crisis looks like. But I said, as I said to my advisor, it really did feel like the questions that I'd left on the table all those years ago had finally tracked me down and jumped me in the dark alley of a particularly ugly job transition. A philosophical mugging is what I called it. Apparently, I still wasn't done. In many ways, a Unitarian seminary is pretty much what you'd expect. The students are all smart, politically savvy. Some are very young. Some are very not. (laughs) They come from all walks of life, from all over the country, and in some very interesting and notable cases, from all over the world. There's a lot to say about these beautiful folks that select seminaries their next path, and someday I'll do that. But there, up in Chicago, as I was looking over my class, class, my classmates that first day, I felt at home. With my degree in philosophy, I felt ready, too. I did discover, somewhat to my chagrin, that seminarians aren't all introverts. I'll let that sink in a moment. Between and around breaks, I was drawn into some thoroughly personal conversations 
And guess what? Seminarians are almost, as a rule, rather pragmatic people. Take the why are you here question, which they did a lot. Because seminarians are always curious to know what brought you to seminary, what it is that you're seeking, or more pointedly, what is it that you're hoping to do when you leave. The reason for that is a bit pointed because of what the Unitarian Universalist Association's credentialing body, the rather ominous-sounding Ministerial Fellowship Committee, calls the call to ministry. Near the end of the process of getting the UUA's stamp of approval, every seminarian is going to have to answer that latter question. First, in an essay, then in a rather excruciating interview process. So it's, perhaps it's not all that surprising that we as a group obsess about it. When I was asked by these kind and earnest people, I shared my story, my path, what it was that brought me to seminary, and they shared theirs. I learned a lot of things, but what surprised me was how many of those stories were about justice. Social justice is a recurring theme here at UUCF, and rightfully so. Looking at our order of service, the word justice, right there, closes out our tagline. Every week we find at least a couple of ways that the interested can become the involved. You could say that social justice is kind of built into the modern conception of Unitarian Universalism. For example, more than half of the UU principles either are explicitly or implicitly targeting social justice work. Take a look at the back page of the order of service. You can do that now if you like. Number one, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Number two, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. I'll just skip down for a few. Number six, the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. And number seven, respect for the independent web of all existence of which we are a part. With this sort of launching pad, it's not surprising that my seminarian colleagues, when I asked them the why are you here question, I didn't get big picture stuff. I got practical stuff. They told me that they needed to work on some larger cause, that they wanted to fix something. The, the something varied. Many of them mentioned race, some referenced climate, but the theme of injustice and witness threaded through, regardless of how they completed that equation for themselves. But noble as that response is, I felt it a little odd. I asked my climate justice-focused colleagues why they didn't instead, say, volunteer for the Sierra Club. The Sierra Club, as you probably know, has done some tremendous work in New York. I have a friend up there working, shutting down legacy coal plants, blocking fracking, and they are aggressively moving forward with a sustainable energy plan through wind farms, something that we in Maryland really ought to have been able to lead on, 
but that's another sermon. My point, and I do have one, is that there are lots of ways to engage social issues. Seminary, at least these days, seems a bit roundabout, especially if that issue is above the fold, like climate change, gun violence, or race. Speaking of which, don't forget to see the order of service for today's call on getting engaged with Black Lives Matter. And I mean that. That's a very interesting uh, opportunity for you. Rather, if our call is to throw our bodies at the varied work that needs to be done to advance our society onward and upward forever, why are we here and not there on the front lines with those organizations? Part of me wants to say that preaching to you all about all or at least some of these issues is like preaching to the choir. Don't get me wrong. It's good to share our dreams, our pains, our hopes, and our outrage at what is happening in and to the world at large. Giving these thoughts wings out loud and in public can create movement. Movement generates momentum. And momentum can create change. That is good and right and necessary, and that is why we do it. But recruiting for causes great and small is not why we're here. At least not, maybe, why we come back. It's possible that there may be no particular cause at all that brought you here, whoever you are, wherever you come from. And causes, generally speaking, may have nothing at all to do with why your neighbor sitting next to you came. And that's okay. Not too long ago, my wife and I were in search of a church. I'll confess that I wasn't terribly helpful in the process. Sundays were for sleeping in, which I'm sure I offered offered up at some point along the way. Okay, many points along the way, but she was determined. She knew, as I did, that what we needed as a family was to put down roots, and that meant community. To us, Frederick was a new town. Our kids were very small. We wanted a place where our kids could have what we both had growing up, a community of others that was loving and supportive. We wanted to find our people, community that shared our values, that would help us be better people. A place to belong, to be known, to be cherished. Eventually we found UUCF, and we've been thrilled with what we found here. I suspect that this story isn't all that alien, at least to some of you. Maybe. It turns out that that may not necessarily be true. UU minister Paul Razor, in Faith Without Certainty, a painfully methodical textbook assigned to my liberal theology class last fall, explored a 1998 survey of some 10,000 Unitarian Universalists. I'm going to hit you with some stats, so I apologize in advance. Here are some of the items that he discussed. Question. What factors most influenced your decision to join a UU congregation? Answer. More than 60% of respondents said that cherish, sorry, searching for a belief system and faith community that made sense to me. To me. The emphasis here is mine. 
Question, what do you get out of attending a UU worship service? Answer, the two largest, actually, were nearly equal in distribution, and they were to remember with gratitude and celebrate what is most important in my life and intellectual stimulation. At first blush, these responses probably wouldn't give many of you pause, now would they? But there is a little bit of a concern here, and Paul Razor mentions this. He says to consider this following question, what role has your congregation played in your life? The answer, by far the single largest one, was it supports my views and upholds my values. It's interesting to note that this was in rather stark contrast with the second largest response, which was way down at 25%, which was, it is a beloved community of forgiveness, love, and spiritual growth. The problem, according to Razor, is rather broadly hinted at with the title of the chapter that discusses it, The Problem of the Self. Razor lays much of the failures of liberal religious movements at the feet of this distinctly American notion rugged individualism. This is the thread that he lifts out of the responses to the surveys. He says that in nearly every instance, respondents chose answers that were highly personal, extremely individualistic, and almost always to the expense of the answer that was community-based. For whatever it's worth, this, it's this individualism, he argues, that hampers both the growth of our movement, even while it gives it its identity and its character. Turn back to our seven principles for a moment. If we zip through, we get the following. This is kind of a gloss, so bear with me. They go like this. What are we? How should we behave? What should we do? How should we do it? Why we should do it? And that doing it is smart and right and good. There really is only one stumble right around that second half, principle number three, the part where we should encourage each other to grow. And that's where we get the notion that we might be better off together. It's a little curious, isn't it? And it's something of a challenge, something that Razor takes some pains to underscore. Now, I will admit that the survey data is dated. It's 1998. And even with that said, though, what is there is pretty clear. We, as you use, tend to go to church, but it's not for justice. It's not for each other. I think it's worth asking, what the heck are we here for? To say that this survey represented something of a revelation and that it also made for some lively discussions at school, well, that would be a very interesting understatement. I think that particular morning, late that very first week of that very first class that I took in seminary, we all did some very serious questioning. But what struck me then and struck me as particularly hopeful is that when the light was shown on the choice, the choice between rugged individualism and community, every single one of my peers lifted up that ladder as important as a goal, as something that was an an inalienably good thing. It may not be, however, the only thing that plants us like corn and rose. 
but I think it is certainly a reason. Not either or, but both and. And that was for every single one of my peers. Even those that were there at school girding for some kind of battle. And maybe it's true for you as well. Just it is, as it is for me. Because I am here for the society of like minds. I am here for the remembrances of something more, something beyond what my normal, everyday businessman-like life, businessman-like life might ignore. I'm here for all of that. Once I was a philosophy student. I'm not sure that that ever really goes away. It's like getting your nose broken. You, get, you carry that dent regardless of what you do or who you become. Philosophy asked me to frame questions squarely and then to pull them apart, to dissect them, to analyze the remains, to pour in skepticism, hit it with doubt, and then toast tasty marshmallows of rhetoric over the embers. That's philosophy. I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. But I'm older now. 20 years of living outside of grad school has changed me. Intellectual stimulation aside, and that is a huge thing for many of us in this room to put aside. I found that I'd come to a place in my life where I didn't want to just know a truth, to tear it apart, to push the pieces of it around on a tray, Instead, I wanted to feel it, to live it. And it was here, right here, actually right there. (laughs) And I saw a way to do that, and that's why I applied to seminary. Because to me, on that day, early last summer, sitting here in this church, in our sanctuary, I answered my question differently I said, I am here because of all of those things, yes. But mostly, mostly, I'm here because of all of you. And that's my call. So, here I am. I'm up here thinking out loud for a little while, and then I've rolled up on that time when I ought to be drawing to a conclusion. And much like my college career, I kind of feel like I'm just getting started. There's a lot to say about the value of community. Life coach and author Martha Beck has much to say about the role of other people in our lives, but this will have to suffice for now. She says, basic human contact, the meeting of eyes, the exchange of words, is to the psyche what oxygen is to the brain. If you're feeling abandoned by the world, interact with anyone you can. That seems like solid advice and a good jumping off point, at least for now. So let me ask you what I asked my friends at Meadville Lombard. In particular, I'd respectfully ask that you play with that big question, especially if it's weird, if it feels kind of funny. Ask yourself, why am I here? Why am I here? in this time and place. What is it that holds me here? 
What is it that brings me back? The answer I invite you to consider might be in the room with you. So take a moment. Look around. Right now is fine. Look around. Look to the person to your left. To your right. Up the aisle, down the aisle. And later, after the music is stopped, and you're up and about having that cup of coffee and wandering amongst the wonderful art we have on display in the gallery, take a moment and consider your fellows. Your fellows. Claim them as yours. Because they are. This is your community. And if you dare, ask one. Out loud, even. Or maybe even two of them. Why it is that they're here with you? Maybe they'll even tell you.